Well, friends, good morning. Good morning. That's better. Got to get the blood flowing a little bit. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Welcome to worship at uh, Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. My name is Matthew, and I am the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us here at this church, welcome. Welcome to those of you who are logging on and joining us virtually. Welcome to those of you who braved the snow and uh, put on your snow boots to join us in person today. It's, it's good to be together. Uh, when we worship, we do so using a printed liturgy, and you can also find words on the screens, and you can find them. You'll see the words that we'll be saying together and singing together displayed on your screen as well for those of you who are worshiping from the comfort of your own home this morning. Well, we are getting close to Christmas, and out there, it is the most wonderful time of the year, right? But for those of us who come in here together, uh, it is not yet Christmas. It is still Advent. And though we are close, we are keeping the discipline of remembering that uh, for, perhaps for people in our world, it is not the best time of the year. We are remembering together why Jesus had to come in the first place. And so we are remembering that people are still cold and they are still hungry and they are still living in the shadow of death. And so uh, this morning we practiced the discipline of Advent together, remembering that we needed Jesus to come in the first place. Advent is a strange time for us as Christian people because time gets really, really weird for us. On the one hand, we are uh, looking ahead with anticipation to the future where God comes back. And at the same time, we are also looking back to see how God has come in the past and focusing on these stories of God's mighty actions for our ancestors and living in those stories so that they become our present and stretched as we are between a future that isn't here yet and a past that has already happened, what happens is, is actually God begins to make space for all the different things that we might bring with us into church uh, in a, on a December Sunday morning such as ours. We remember that during Advent, uh, Jesus is almost here. We remember that he has already come and that he is even now here among us. And so for you today, if you are just overcome with the excitement that Christmas is here in five days and you can barely wait, the good news is that your waiting is almost over. Jesus is almost here. And for those of us this morning for whom uh, we cannot see for the tears in our eyes because we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the good news is that Jesus is not yet here. And we know that when he comes, he will wipe every tear from every eye. And so we wait for that day. And the good news for all of us, no matter where you are, is that as we come into this place of worship, he is already here with us. And so, friends, I'd invite you, as is our practice, to take a moment to quiet your hearts, to make some quiet space within you, to acknowledge that God is with us even now. Lord God, as we take a moment in silence to pause and to break from the rush and the hurry and the noise of this season, we ask that in this silence that you would open us up to the ways that you are present here among us. Emmanuel, as we wait for your return, help us to see your glory and love through the reading and preaching of your word in our worship this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to rise in body or in spirit, and let's begin our worship together. Let's say this call to worship. We gather in preparation. For good news is about to be proclaimed. We gather in expectation. For joy is about to explode in our midst. We gather in celebration. For we are those people who have said yes to the manger, yes to love enfleshed, yes to the one incarnate for others, yes to the wholeness of God. With preparation and in expectation, let's celebrate.
welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Come and be in and among us. You may be seated. As is our tradition, we have been lighting a one candle every Sunday for the time of Advent. So on the first Sunday of Advent, we lit the candle of hope. And we were reminded to put our hope in God's promises even when we wait. On the second Sunday, we lit the candle of peace as we, with Mary, remembered God's mercy and rested in his plans for us. Last week, we lit the candle of joy, rejoicing in the expectation of the day when our Lord will come and bring everlasting joy to our world. Today, we light the candle of love. Our God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Those familiar words from John 3, verse 16. So let's say it together. We light this candle to remember God's love, which brings hope eternal, peace on earth, and joy to the world. Our Reader's Theater focuses on the shepherds this time. Shepherds' lives. Living in the fields outside Bethlehem. Night watchmen for the flocks. Common folk, workers. People of action. Then one night. An angel. God's glory shining. Terror. The message. Good news. Great joy, a baby. A savior, the Messiah, the Lord. Confirmation, see the manger. Glory to God in heaven. Peace to God seekers on earth. Shepherds changed lives. Off to Bethlehem. The baby in the manger. Spreading the news around town. Then back to work. Watching the flock, praising God, common folk, people of action, witnesses, worshipers, do, do not, not be, be afraid. afraid. Do not be afraid? Do not, do not be, be afraid. afraid of what God intends to do. Do not, do not be, be afraid. afraid of what God has asked of you. Do, do not, not be, be afraid. afraid. And you do not understand. Do not, Do not be, be afraid. afraid. God is working out God's plan. Do, Do not, not be afraid. Do, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid.
This close to Christmas, we are thinking often about love. We are thinking about it not just because it's the focus of our worship service this morning, but because this is a time when love is in the air. And a big part and way in which we express and show love is by giving gifts. If we think about giving gifts, it's natural, it's common to us. It's what we do when there is love and when there's a relationship. It's a way of giving and showing, receiving and giving love to each other. If you think about it, gift-giving can also be dangerous, as any of us who have been on the receiving end of a gift we neither expected or wanted can testify to. Gift-giving can be dangerous when you receive a gift from a stranger who you don't know all that well, or when you receive something that is far too lavish for the nature of your relationship with that person, or if you have nothing to give in in return. Gift-giving can be dangerous because it can put us in other people's debts. This time of year, we talk about God giving us his most precious gift in his son, which, of course, is right and fitting because he has. But we should be pausing over that for a moment, because if we think about who this God is, he is a stranger to us. We do not know him all that well. And I wonder if we don't fear receiving this gift really and truly inside of ourselves because we worry it might put us in his debt. Friends, God has given us Jesus not to put us in his debt, but because we already are. That's why he sent him. When Christians gather for worship together, We confess and we proclaim the glory of God. We look up and we acknowledge the beauty and splendor of God. And we also look in. We acknowledge and we confess our sin. And one of the ways that our great tradition has understood sin is as a debt. And so at Christmas, we confess the sin of our indebtedness to God. And as people who want desperately to be able to give and receive love more abundantly, We acknowledge that we must receive a kind of love. We must understand love in a way that we can't have earned and can never repay if we're able, if we're going to be able to respond accordingly. And so, friends, I would invite you to put yourself in a position to receive the gift that God has given us that we could not have expected and did not deserve. Let's confess our sin together. Father God, We confess to you that love is a word we use more than we understand or experience. We want to be loved, but only if we've earned it. We cannot imagine receiving a gift without having one to give in return. And because we struggle to receive with open hands that which you give freely, we confess that we also struggle to open our hands and give freely. Forgive Forgive us, us, O God. Beloved Jesus, Come to us by your Spirit this Advent season and show us love. Show us yourself coming into the world to die for us so that we might live for you. Breathe in us that we might love one another. Come to us anew and by your grace assist us to receive you with joy as the shepherds, with humility as Joseph, with obedience as Mary with love as you have loved us. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's take a moment to make those words our own. (coughs) Lord Jesus, we ask that you would hear these prayers that we offer to you silently now, just as you hear the ones we voice out loud. Hear us now as we lift our voices in song. Friends, I'd invite you to sing together, Shine on Us.
Friends, brothers, and sisters, as those undeserving, we receive a gift, a very precious gift this morning. It comes in the form of news, and it is good, and it is for you. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's say it together. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Let's sing this good news together of the, lo- of the Father's love begotten. The words will be on the screen. Let's rise in body or in spirit to sing. Greeting, the peace of the Lord be with you. And also with you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Mike Anima. I'm an elder here. It's my uh, privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. But before that, I just got word that we've been notified that there is a yellow Jeep in the parking lot with its headlights on. So if that Jeep belongs to one of you here, you might want to go turn them off. Let's go to our God in prayer. Lord, we come before you this morning with thankful hearts. We thank you for the seasons that we experience here. And though snow can be challenging for many of us to deal with, we're thankful for the beauty that it brings in the midst of an otherwise dreary landscape. More than that, though, we thank you for your coming to earth, living amongst us, and eventually dying to pay the price that our sins deserve. In this Christmas season, may we focus on this reality rather than the current difficulties we face where many of us have had to make difficult decisions about work, 
family, travel, and the current restrictions that we've had to find ourselves living under. Lord, be especially this season with those that are struggling with the loss of loved ones in the past year. We ask that you would be with the families that experienced the loss of Fran this past week. We thank you for her life of faithfulness, but we ask that you would comfort those who are mourning her passing. Many others of us find ourselves celebrating this Christmas season without loved ones. And we ask, Lord, that you would provide solace to those who mourn. Lord, this morning we ask you to be with Tammy and her family as her mother recovers from a stroke that she had this past week. Give doctors clarity as they prescribe treatments to help her. And Lord, many of us are struggling with the challenges associated with COVID, the COVID reality we're living in. Many of us are not going to see family that we normally look forward to seeing. Many of us find ourselves without the resources that we're accustomed to having due to maybe job loss or job reductions. Many of us are living in fear of an unseen foe. But remind us, Lord, that you are still in control and that there is purpose in everything that you ordained to happen. Remind us that we don't need to live in fear because you loved us so much that you sent your son to conquer fear and death for us. Lord, in the midst of this past difficult year, we rejoice in the good things that you've provided for us. We're so thankful for relative health and safety that most of us have experienced. We rejoice for good news of what appears to be a successful vaccine that's, vaccines that have been developed and are already being distributed. We rejoice in new births this past year. We rejoice that you've provided us a new shepherd in Pastor Matthew. We thank you for your new leadership in the church that, to lead us in this coming year. We thank you that Leanne is recovering from uh, being hospitalized and is with, with us this morning. We thank you that uh, Maggie is feeling much better after being sick. We thank you that we can be a light in our community by providing gifts and food cards for those in need. And though this year has been difficult, remind us of all the good things that we experience and often take for granted. Lord, this morning we ask that you be with Pastor Matthew as he brings us your word about how much you love us. Lord, we do love you, and we thank you for loving us. These things we ask in your name. Amen. This morning, we read from Luke 2, 1 through 14, found on page 832 in your pew Bible, if you wish to follow along there. The birth of Jesus. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord. Normally we read this story about the shepherds at Christmas. In fact, because we read it at Christmas, it might be the most famous story in the entire Bible. And because we read it mostly at Christmas, it tends to take on the things that we think about as being part of Christmas. Tranquility, calm, quiet, peace. 
But today, as we read this story from Luke chapter 2, it is not Christmas yet. It is still Advent. And as Christian people who are attempting to keep the discipline of Advent, we are trying to keep watch in a world of pain around us. And during Advent, we notice things about this world and about ourselves that are broken and damaged and in desperate need of changing. And so today we read Luke chapter 2 with Advent eyes. And as familiar as this story ought to be, today we notice something strange about it. For a story about peace, it's not terribly peaceful. No, in fact, of all the emotions that Luke might have chosen to mention in this story, we would not expect terror to be one of them or the first one. And yet, that is the very first emotion that Luke mentions about this good news of great joy, which is odd, because this is the story about the birth of a baby (laughs) to first-time parents. And yet, Luke doesn't mention Mary's joy or worry. He doesn't tell us if Joseph was panic-stricken or overcome with wonder. The very first people to feel anything are shepherds in the hills outside of the city of Bethlehem, and they are terrified. Luke highlights it for us just so that we don't miss it. Some of my favorite translations are as follows. They were filled with a great fear. They were absolutely terrified. They were sore afraid. That's a good one, King James right there. Or more literally, if you like, they feared a great fear. Though odd, terror does seem somehow fitting when you think about what met them in the dark of that night. This reaction that they have is about more than just being startled to find an angel in the middle of your night watch. This is about more than just being startled by something very unexpected, although I am sure it was that for them as it would be for us. They are terrified because they know that they are being visited by the presence of God himself. Angels, remember, are are divine warriors. This is not a visit from a chubby Cupid in a loincloth. (laughs) These are beings who do only the bidding of God himself, who spend their days dwelling in the presence of God himself. And now one of them has come here to these shepherds, and they understand that this means that God himself has come near. What happens when God comes near to his world in a mighty and powerful way? Well, if the scriptures are any indication, usually judgment happens. The drawing near of God is the coming close of a king. And when the king is near, it tends to make one reflect on whether or not you have been living in a way that honors the king. These shepherds, like all of Israel in the first century, were waiting for, were looking for the return of God the King. Friends, they were not waiting for a nativity scene on a starry night. They were waiting for the day of the Lord. The prophets spoke of this day, this day of the Lord, as they called it in prophecies long ago. And and they looked to the future and they imagined that this was going to be a day in which God's kingly would return, would right all wrongs in the world. It would be a day when hearts were revealed and secret things were exposed. They imagined that this would be a day when oppression would cease and oppressors would be overthrown and those cast down would be raised up and Israel would be vindicated for God would come with an iron scepter to set all things to rights once and for all. Mary sang about a day like that a few weeks ago. Zachariah sings a similar song when John is born and his mouth is opened. It was to be a day of peace because it was to be a day of justice. And there on the hills outside of Bethlehem, an angel appears, and the glory of the Lord is all around these shepherds, and they are terrified. And in many ways, this is an Advent story. And here is an Advent question to go with it. Why aren't we afraid of this, too? Well, we thought that in many ways we were over that kind of religion, didn't we? I mean, 
awe in the presence of God, wonder, joy, excitement, sure, all of those things in the presence of God. But fear? It sounds rather 19th century, doesn't it? And yet the psalmists and the sages who wrote the poetry of Psalms and Proverbs and the book of Job and Ecclesiastes, they would all tell us that fearing the Lord is the beginning of knowing how to live in the world in the right way. It's the beginning of wisdom. They understood that being viscerally gripped by God in the presence of God is nothing other than sanity. <laughs> they understood they would say that if you do not fear God above all else, you will fear everything else in life, which pretty much sounds about right, doesn't it? For being in the presence of God, fearing God, coming close to God, it opens our eyes to things that sometimes we overlook we see just how much is wrong with the world and in us. It is not necessarily good news, is it, that God comes near? I mean, for those with secrets, for those who have used their power while the king is gone to do what they want, for those who have come to think of themselves as king, the return of the rightful king is a threatening thing. And for all of us being in the presence of the one who made all things in love and who set everything rightly ordered, shalom is this word that we use to talk about what it was like in the garden to be in the presence of this God who knows how it is supposed to work. Well, it makes us realize just how much is out of joint and conflicted and messy around us. We see it. We, we live in a world, we live in communities that are mired in hostility. We can't agree on a political vision about what is good for this country. Sometimes I don't wonder if we don't revel in it, in fact. We cannot agree on what is a right or a privilege or a responsibility. We do not know the difference between what is mine and what is common. And somehow it seems like every conversation about what you need makes me feel like it's going to have to come at my expense. We talk of peace and we want peace. We know this story is about peace, but it's not the peace that we think. Beneath the conflict, we see that, in fact, we are afraid of so many things. We are afraid of losing influence and control. We are afraid of others having control over us. We are afraid of being wrong, being misunderstood. And these being the fears, we think of peace as the opposite of them. And so we think of peace as, as serenity on a dark night. But the shepherds are not serene. The shepherds go from jumping out of their skin with fright to running at a sprint to tell everyone what they have found. And Jesus himself will say it later in Luke when he grows up. He says, I have not come to bring serenity, but division. And we think of peace as getting all the right people in office, however you define who the right people are. Yep, but at Christmas, it doesn't come on election night, does it? Remember what Luke stressed at the beginning, that this is the time of Caesar. <laughs> this is the time of Herod. Friends, peace is, is not conforming other people to our point of view. It is, it is not pretending that everything is the same and so it's fine and so we can coexist and not tread on each other's toes. Friends, peace is not a vaccine. I am pretty sure we will find other things to fight about. So what then is peace? In many ways, the shepherds are closer to it than they or we might realize. Because the shepherds are in the presence of God himself, and to talk about the coming of God is to talk about the coming of the king who brings, who makes peace. And that should 
strike us with terror because we know in our hearts that we are a people at war. And with so much conflict going on against each other and between each other and within ourselves, the last thing that any of us wants is for God to come because now we have to fight Him too. Friends, beneath the conflict, beneath the fear, is the truth that all of our conflicts with each other are emblematic and symptomatic of a much deeper problem. We are a people at war with God, and we are afraid of the kind of peace that He will make when He returns. And so being struck and gripped, as perhaps we are right now, with something close to terror, I have good news for you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because I bring glad tidings of great joy that will be for all the peoples. Isn't that striking? All the peoples. All the peoples at war with each other. All the peoples. It is good tidings of glad and great joy for every family and household full of tension at the dinner table. It is glad tidings of great joy for each sibling rivalry, no matter how old the siblings. This is news that is for every tense conversation that happens about what to do about mom and dad or what to do now that they are gone. And the good news is this. God does not bring peace the way that we would. And that is very good news indeed. And it is news that comes to shepherds on a hill outside of Bethlehem. As they are quaking and expecting possible judgment or a sword or a mighty vindication, the angel declares this strange, wonderful, good news. A savior is what? <laughs> Not riding on a war horse. A savior is born. <laughs> a savior is born. You will find a baby. And where? Where should we look for this baby? Is it in Herod's place? Is it in Jerusalem? Is it in Rome? Where is this child? Lying in an animal's feeding trough in a borrowed cave. And this is the sign. A Messiah is born in the city of David. This is God's peace sign. A vulnerable infant wrapped in clothing that poor folks use to wrap their children up in a borrowed cave where animals sleep. That is the sign. And here's what it means. God comes into the middle of a hostile world not with an iron scepter, full of power and might to crush Israel's enemies. He comes defenseless. He comes as a child of questionable paternity who will be raised in Nowheresville and who at two years old is a hair's breadth away from being slaughtered by Herod. Friends, how does God make peace? It's not a decree passed down. It's not a decision from a far-off throne. Peace is a person. Peace is a person. God sends His Son who puts on flesh, who becomes our peace. Paul says it like this to the Ephesians. In His body, He made peace. <laughs> The peace that God makes is peace with himself. The peace that God brings is peace with himself. And he makes peace not by bringing judgment, but by bearing it for us. And that is a very different way to make peace. Friends, I don't know about you, but as I reflect on this text and these themes, I realize that when I parent and when my kids are in conflict, I know that I am prone to bring an iron scepter to a hostile situation. I am prone to bring a sword and try and quell a rebellion. That is how I try to bring peace. But God does not do that to us. He bends down to us in all of our messy, angry, cacophonous hostility, our petty arguments, our heated divisions. He bends down, kneels to eye level with us, and what happens is it begins to melt 
our hearts. There's a man that I knew in California, a remarkable guy. Let's call him Rick. Rick runs a ministry for folks who are homeless, and they, uh, they host worship services outside in church parking lots. And there they gather year-round, rain or shine, California version of cold or California version of warm in the parking lot. And uh, they host worship services, and they sing some songs, and someone gives a message, and they sit around on five-gallon buckets and eat a meal. Why church outside, you ask? I'm glad that you asked. For the same reason that you and I are more comfortable sitting inside for church. It's where we spend most of our life. Asking a homeless person to come into a strange building with strange people is like asking all of us to go to the town square with all our clothes on in a shopping cart. It's just not what we normally do. So anyway, Rick knew that bringing homeless people inside to meet Jesus wasn't going to work very well, so he started a ministry to bring Jesus outside to them. And Rick knows that this will work with homeless folks because he was one of them. Well, actually, he wasn't just homeless. If I were going to tell the whole story, he would say, you got to tell the whole story. He would say he was a very angry person. He came from this tense and complicated and angry background. And, and Rick would say it wasn't just his dad. And it wasn't just a tortured relationship with an ex-spouse. But there was, there was all this extra hostility between him and, and well, between him and God. But somehow in the midst of all of that hostility, wouldn't you know that God got a hold of Rick, got his attention, came close to him, and being gripped as he was by the way that he was living his life and having no recourse and nowhere else to turn, he saw Jesus who bears judgment for him. And now he knows peace. And so Rick becomes the kind of person who, who embodies that peace to others through this ministry. Well, Rick said that there used to be this guy who would come to the church services in the parking lot, and, and it seemed like he was probably just coming for the food, which some people did, but he would show up early enough to attend the service as well, and, and Rick would be preaching a message about Jesus, talking about how God changed his life, how God made peace, and then turning it to everyone to say, you too can know this peace. And every week, Rick is saying to everyone, you can have this peace with God that I have experienced. And then at the end of each message, without fail, this guy is in the back and he says, and that's how you control the population. <laughs> week after week, for months on end, Rick says, I'm trying to talk about Jesus making peace. And this guy, hostile as the day is long, is there in the back. And I finish the message and then he says, and that's how you control the population. Well, as it happened, that guy got busted and wound up in jail. And word traveled back to Rick that this guy was in jail. And we are probably relieved, right? We might say, serves you right, buddy. Yeah, but what struck me is what Rick said. Because in the story, the very next thing he said was, so I went and visited him in jail. <laughs> as if... As if as if that was the most natural thing in the world, that you would go and, and visit the person who has been heckling you mercilessly for the last couple of months, as if that was just, you know, a normal thing to do. And so Rick goes, and the guy shows for the visit, and there they are sitting across from each other, two-inch thick plexiglass between them, and he sees Rick, and he asks the only question, why are you here? Why are you here? Maybe he was expecting a sermon. Maybe he's waiting for an I told you so. He doesn't care. He wants to know why this man is sitting across from him. No sermon comes, though. Do you know what Rick says? He says, because you're there. <laughs> wow. And you know what? Something began to melt. And so eventually he gets out of jail and, and now he's asking, he's saying, what do I do with my life? I trust you. What do I do? And Rick says, go to rehab. And so he goes to rehab more for Rick for him, than for himself. But you know what? He meets Jesus, whom actually he'd probably already met once before when Rick came to see him in prison because that's where he was. Which is, of course, why God came to us, locked up as we are in our own wars with ourselves and with others. Why? 
Why did God come here? Because we're there. And he doesn't just come here, but he, he stands here in our place. <laughs> he dies our death. He is punished for our sins. Why? So that we can be where he is. So we can be there. And when you see that baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, we see where it goes, and we know that this baby will turn into a man who is wrapped in linens, lying in a borrowed tomb. And when we see that he is there for us, something begins to loosen inside of us. What is it? Is it a grip? Is it a posture? Maybe it's a fear. And it loosens until eventually something gives way and we find ourselves all of a sudden looking for ways to make peace like this with those who have known only trenches, running even, full of joy to tell everyone and anyone the good news, which is that the war is over. It's over. This good news is for you, my friends, for unto you is born this week a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He has come to be where you are so that through him you can be where he is. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to you on whom his favor rests. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Yeah, Lord Jesus, we have been afraid for so long. We have felt the need to guard ourselves for so long. We have trained our hands for war for so long that it seems almost impossible that a day might come when we won't need weapons or the moves or the well-practiced rhythms that we have learned. The most amazing thing of all is that for those of us who have been gripped by your coming, that day has already dawned upon us. And we are even now people who are learning to move and to dance and to live in a way that makes peace. And so we ask, Lord, that even as we wait in the dark for your dawn, for your coming, that you would shine your light upon us, that we might look up to the heavens, that we might raise our eyes and see Jesus who has offered himself for us, who is even now making all sad things come untrue, who promises to wipe all tears from eyes, and who is teaching us to walk in the light of that path. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Friends, would you please rise in body or in spirit? Normally, God speaks and we have a chance to respond also by, by, uh, by raising our voices in song and by also offering up some of what God has given us in terms of money for our offerings. Our offerings we cannot do as part of our church service still because of COVID, but you are able, uh, please do continue to give online. You can also place offerings in the box, which is at the front. Um, and uh, that... We will again have a chance to do that together. Um, but for now, uh, having, having practiced and remembered that God gives and we receive, we also go out receiving something else from God. Um, and that is a benediction. That the same God who has gathered us here today is the same God who sends us, who goes with us into whatever this week might look like and wherever it takes us. So friends, I'd invite you to turn up your eyes and to open your hands and to receive it. Friends, may God the Father who loved the world so much that he sent his only Son give you grace to prepare for eternal life. God the Son who comes to us as Redeemer and Judge reveal to you the path from darkness to light. God the Holy Spirit by whose working the Virgin Mary conceived the Christ help you to bear the fruits of holiness. We pray together. Amen. Friends, let's go singing. Go tell it on the mountain.